0: Welcome to the Redemption Channel. My name is Matthew, and we're in a series called Keep It Simple. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We're in a series called Keep It Simple. Keep It Simple. We launched this series last week, and we uh, said that this was the point or the aim of the series, to incorporate... Uh, incorporate simple truths and practices into our lives, so as to be uh, keep in step with the Spirit, so as to be near Jesus, and together as a church family. This was based on the idea or the verse in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-five. That says this: If you live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this phrase "keep in step with the Spirit" is like the idea of the Holy Spirit as the line leader. So if you remember back in elementary school, there was a line leader, and you'd follow behind the line leader. And when we follow the Holy Spirit, it results in two things. We're being obedient and honoring Jesus, and we're also together as a church family. And so the hope of the end of this series is that as we uh, incorporate these practices, simple practices, into our lives, it'll lead us closer to Jesus and more together as a church family. That's the quest that we're on. Now, last week, we started not with a practice, but a truth, a simple truth, the truth of the gospel, simple but deeply powerful. Uh, I use this phrase stolen from uh, Pastor author Tim Keller. The, The gospel is this, that you and I are more deeply flawed and sinful than we could dare believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we could dare hope. Now, while we were enemies, Christ died for us, that this simple truth is the gospel. Now, out of this gospel truth comes action. Action not to uh, be okay with God or, or to have God okay with us. We don't strive uh, that, that we might be accepted by God. No, because we are accepted by God through Jesus. We now live out of that acceptance. And so today we're gonna talk about our first, Simple practice, and that is engaging with Scripture, whether that's meditating or reading or studying or listening to Scripture as a routine daily part of our lives. Since the beginning of your time as a Christian or just in organized religion, you've probably been told over and over read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Bible." We're told this all the time. Now, as a evangelical Christian pastor, I know that there are certain presuppositions that I have about Scripture that you might not share with me as we go into this morning's discussion. If that's you, I want to say this: don't abandon me, please. It is possible that you and I could disagree on certain things about the Bible, and you can still listen. This morning. In fact, I would suggest this, that even if you're all the way on the other side of the pendulum uh, compared to me on what you think about the Bible, would you at least give me 25, 30 minutes or so to talk about the book that has literally transformed human history, that billions of people would say, this book has meant so much to me. Now, for me, As I go into this talk, I know that um, what I believe about the Bible, and that is that it is the the written word of God, that it is uh, inspired by his Holy Spirit. Um, I believe it to be literally true in many facets, and you might disagree with me in some of those, that it is as relevant today as it has ever been, and that it is God's most clear form of communication to those who follow and that's what I go into this morning's conversation, believing. Now, as we begin to study this, and as I talk about reading scripture, I want to warn you again of the defense mechanisms that we talked about last week. These are our defense mechanisms when it comes to these types of practices. I brought up two. The first one is this. Uh, we are talking about doing, you know, keep it simple. We're gonna keep it simple. Well, sometimes we use something, uh, we label something as complicated so as not to have to engage with it at all. So we look at the Bible and we say, ah, it's it's a big book, it's an old book. It was written over a long period of time. Who really knows if it's been preserved accurately? I don't even know where to start. I did start once, but then it got confusing and there were some weird things in there and it all just seems very complicated, so I won't do anything. Or the other side, We want these practices to be simple but meaningful. We'll say, well, it's not meaningful. It's not meaningful because I grew up in a school that told me I had to read it or a household that told me I had to read it. It's not meaningful because I don't completely understand it. It's not meaningful because I'm reading it in English and it was originally written in a different language. It's not meaningful because when I do read it, nothing seems to happen. Well, I wanna try and convince you of its meaning for you personally this morning and then talk about a simple way to incorporate it into your life so that you'll be nearer to Jesus and we'll be more together as a church family. We're gonna look at one primary passage this morning Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Of course, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 comes after Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. And in verse 11, it talks about entering into the rest, uses this term, the rest. What does it mean? It means salvation. The rest that's being referred to is this that as followers of Christ, we can rest in our salvation. It means that you and I can't do anything to earn God's favor. Doesn't matter how many times we show up, how many times we pray, how many times we give. Doesn't matter how many good deeds that we do, we will never earn our way to God. We can rest because all of the work of salvation was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. We now operate out of that rest. We're grateful for what Christ has done for us and that now stirs us to action. Not I act so that God will love me. I act because God already does. Now out of that verse, we get into verse 12. This is really our primary text for the morning. It says this, for the word of God, the word of God, the Rima." is the is the term the word of god now when we see here this term the word of god um commentators scholars would uh, would discuss on two different potential things that this might mean um but then also conclude that it doesn't necessarily matter which one specifically uh, the first word of god is the incarnate word of god which is jesus we read john chapter 1 verse 1 today in the beginning was the word and the word is with god that's referring specifically to jesus and when jesus shows up on earth he is the uh Word of God in the flesh. And then the other term, the Word of God, what else could it mean? Well, our Bible, your Bible, the one you were given to as a kid or in your first communion, the one that sits uh, in your kitchen or or in your living room or wherever it might be or just takes up space uh, on your phone, that Bible, this book right here, the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is broken up into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, One author uh, that I read recently pointed out that that word testament is actually somewhat confusing to us. It's probably more easy for us to understand it in this way. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Two different sections of the Bible. The Old Covenant, what we would refer to as the Old Testament, the New uh, Covenant, is what we would refer to as the New Testament. Written over a period of about 1,500 years, about 40 different authors, and um, uh, evangelical Christians believe to be the inspired word of God. Now, the old covenant, 39 books written over a lengthy period of time, broken down into five different categories, the law, history, poetry, then the minor and the major prophets. And the old covenant tells the story of God's chosen people, the Israelites. It tells the overarching theme of his redemption story, concluding in the coming of a savior named Jesus. I love reading the old covenant. I love reading the Old Covenant because it tells of God's faithfulness even when people aren't faithful to Him. I love reading the Old Covenant because it reveals the nature and the character of God. I love reading the Old Covenant because the stories are fascinating and filled with really messed up people that God still uses, and that gives me hope for myself. I love reading the Old Covenant because it gives the background or the origin story of redemption as you're reading the Old Covenant, let me give you a few warnings. Because some of you have read through the Old Covenant and you got to a point and you thought, I don't know if I agree with this. There's a lot of things in the Old Covenant that many respected teachers of the Bible disagree on. Some people um, that I um, greatly respect, read, and study differ uh, than I would on how old they think the earth is. Something Jesus never says is, if you don't agree with me on the exact date of the origin of the earth, you will not be with me in eternity. It's not spoken. Jesus doesn't engage in these debates. Instead, what he says is, follow me. Follow me. You may disagree with me on some things in the old covenant. Don't let that be a hindrance to God speaking to you. Now, for me personally, I'm a literalist. I'm I don't know if that's right or left or whatever. I'm probably pretty far on one side. You may not be there. God still wants to speak to you through his word. Other things you might read when you go through the old covenant, I'm just warning you. You might get to a point where you say, What? These men are horrible. They have multiple wives, they're abusive. They're not good people. Like, we don't have to just lie and say, Solomon was an awesome dude. He was a horrible human being. He had a thousand wives. Like, under no circumstances is that okay? We don't have to just say, he was great. He wasn't great, okay? But we can see when we see that, that God uses broken people we can see that God had a greater story that he was telling. and We don't want to miss out, okay? There's other things in there that are difficult. There's genocide, there's war. When we see those, we need to look deeper into it and see that God is telling a greater story of redemption. That sometimes in our minds, we see something and we think, I don't know about that. To trust God's overarching story in it. Now, the Old Covenant at some point concludes, we ought to read it, it is the inspired word of God. He wrote it, that we might know it, study it, and learn from it. Oh, the third thing when reading the Old Covenant is this, you're gonna get to points that you need to remember, I don't live underneath this. This is hugely important because when it's not understood this way, we abuse the Old Covenant. We abuse it. Let me. Uh, by the way, some of you are like, no, 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 that can't be right. Well, let's see what the writer of Hebrews in the same section said. For if Joshua, he's an old covenant leader, had given them rest, salvation, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Spoken, Rima. What he was saying is this. If everything that was said in the Old Covenant was all that God needed to say, then he would have stopped speaking, but he didn't stop speaking, which means he had more to say, which means that certain things that were spoken in the Old Covenant were for the period of the Old Covenant. Jesus then came and fulfilled them. So sometimes when you're reading the Old Covenant, instead of saying, ah, yes, this, what you should say is, ah, yes, thank you, Jesus. Let me give you an example. I was reading Psalm 6 the other day. I can't remember who the author is. I believe it was David. But I was reading through Psalm 6, and he gets to this point where he says, God, please don't discipline me in your wrath for my sin. Now, you can, and you probably have at one point in your life, I say that because I certainly have, have read that particular Old Covenant passage and have thought, I'm in sin. I sin. God, please don't discipline me in your wrath. And I could pray that prayer. And you know where it leaves me feeling? Guilty and condemned. God, please don't. Please don't, please don't. I don't live under that verse and neither do you. And so when you get to that verse in the old covenant, don't pray, God, don't discipline me in your wrath. Instead, pray, thank you, Jesus, for taking the discipline. Thank you that you were punished for my sin and I'm not. That's how you properly read the old covenant. You read the Old Covenant and you submit it to Jesus. Now, if you still aren't on board with me, the biggest offender of this was Jesus. Because the religious leaders show up and they say, how come your dudes don't follow the the rules? How come they don't follow the Old Covenant to the T? And Jesus looks back at him and he says, I am the Old Covenant. And they follow me. Don't let the old covenant be an abusive stick. It's not what it was meant for. It was meant to bring us up to the point where redemption breaks in. It was a temporary thing. Now, when I say it's a temporary thing, what I don't mean is, ah, see, there are certain things in there that we just get to throw away. It was fulfilled in Christ, right? Right? Was fulfilled in Christ. And so then what we do is we look at what Jesus says in the New Testament. So let me give you one last example. There's a verse in Psalms that says, God, destroy my enemies. Fun verse. Some of us have prayed this verse. You were wrong when you prayed this verse. In the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. We don't get to pray, destroy your enemies. We get to love our enemies. Ultimately, what the old covenant does, as I said, is it leaves us desperate for a savior, desperate for grace. And then we break into the word of God. I'm still on that part in the sermon. For the word of God, the new covenant is also in the word of God. So then we break into the new covenant, written over not nearly as long of a period as the old covenant. 27 books instead of 39, Paul was the most prolific of the authors. And what the new covenant does is it tells the story of Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, the coming of his Holy Spirit, how his Holy Spirit falls on those who are followers of Jesus, how they now live under grace instead of law, and how they are incorporated into Jesus's church, which we call a family because he calls it a family. This is the new covenant. It shows us how to follow Jesus, how to live in grace, and how to incorporate ourselves into a church family and how to treat one another and the world. This is the new covenant. And this is what the rest of this verse says about both the new covenant and the old covenant. This is what this passage says. It's going to be four things that I'm going to show you this morning right here in the passage. It says, for the word of God, the Rima. for the word of God is four things. First, it is living. It's living. The word is thou. What that means is it's living like a human being who's alive. It's living. For the word of God is living. It's alive. The way I say it is this. It's as relevant today as the day that it was written Now, when we think of a living document, we think, oh, the Constitution, it's a living document. Then you get a whole bunch of people in a fight. That's not what I'm trying to do this morning, okay? When I say living document, the, the word of God is living. What it means is that it still speaks and knows the human heart better than anything else. That what you and I don't need most is modern understanding or modern intellect. I'm not saying those things are wrong or bad or we should always ignore them. What I'm saying is that the scripture knows you better than any modern thing. And that'll be true today and it'll be true in a thousand years and it was true a thousand years ago. I was at a leadership conference once down in um, Honduras. And as I was down there, um, we were um, showing video of an English-speaking leadership conference to a bunch of Spanish-speaking people. And I knew, because I'd already heard them in English, what was going on in the talks. And it was interesting to watch the recipients of the talks. They were dubbed over. And so uh, as they were listening in Spanish, when the English speaker would tell a story, you could see a disconnect to the listener. But as soon as the English speaker started preaching scripture, you could see that it would translate and speak to the heart. The stories, they didn't translate. The scripture did. Another example. I used to read all these leadership books. Got a shelf full of them. It got very exhausting. You know why? Because every seven years, the way you're supposed to lead completely changes. They just keep coming up with a different strategy. Like, this is exhausting. I'm supposed to be nice to people. Now you're supposed to be a tyrant, right? Like, you're supposed to serve, you're supposed to lead with authority. Like, it's just very confusing. So I said, okay, I'm done. I'm going to read the one book that doesn't change, that will always be relevant. I still read leadership books every once in a while, okay? Um, Just don't give them quite as much weight. It's living. It means it knows you in 2019. It knows every heart and it knows every soul and it knows every mind and it can speak to you better than anything else can. It's living, and it's also active. And we know a lot of things that are alive but are dormant. You probably know some people this way, right? They're living, but they're inactive. Lindsay and I got a cat for Christmas, words I thought would never come out of my mouth, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All of you clapping are probably going to hell. Okay, now, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm just kidding. Now, I own a cat now, so I guess I'm in that group, Okay. We've all been redeemed. Okay, so our cat, his name's Denzel, okay? We didn't name him, but that's a pretty sweet name. Okay, so Denzel Pausington, our cat. Yeah, yeah, you'll get it later. Okay, now, um, we got this cat, and um, we're in the uh bathroom one time, and I walked in there. The cat followed me, and he hops up onto our, our um, sink area, and I'm looking at this cat. I'm like, what are you going to do next, buddy? And there's this medicine cabinet, okay, that is very far away from this counter, and the cat's up there, and he's sitting on the edge of it, and I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, this? if you jump up there, you're going to die, and I'm going to have to pick you up, blood everywhere, like 24 hours into having this cat, Okay which actually sounds like not a bad scenario. Now, just kidding. I love him now. Now, okay. Denzel makes the hop from here to there, and it was really quite unbelievable to see. It was quick, and it was powerful. The same two words that are used to describe the scripture in another text. What I'm saying is your scripture is like my cat's. It is quick And it is powerful and it is active i saw a picture of another cat yesterday that weighs 32 pounds i'm not kidding i googled largest house cat and google said 36 pounds that cat is making a run not a run that's a bad pun okay (laughs) didn't even plan that one okay that cat might break a record that cat fat cat looks like a grizzly bear not active alive not active some of you your bibles are that fat cat it's alive and it's completely inactive it sits on your phone unopened it sits on your table unopened it's completely inactive doesn't matter that's it. it's alive it's completely inactive your scripture is living, and the word is energized and active. It means it wants to jump, it wants to do something. It wants to move, and it wants to move in you. It wants to shape you, form you, change you, transform. It's living, and it's active. For the word of God is living and active. It says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is my favorite part of the study this week. This phrase, one author pointed out, two-edged sword means dystomos, which means double-mouthed, double-mouthed. Now, Ephesians chapter six tells us that the scriptures are a spiritual weapon of war. Spiritual weapon of war against what? Well, against the two enemies of the human heart. What are the two enemies of the human heart, of the human soul? The first, Satan, the enemy, right? That's the first one. You know what the second one is? You, me, our sinful nature, warring against us. That's the second enemy. Said another way, sometimes we blame our sin on Satan. It ain't his fault. It might just be your sinful nature inside of you. Satan could go hide somewhere, and sin would still want to come out of me. All right. The scripture, just almost, Double-mouthed, sharper than 82 is short. It's a spiritual weapon of war. The phrase, though, means double-mouthed. So here's what this means. This is how this author pointed it out. I thought it was brilliant. It means that it has to come out of two mouths in order for it to be powerful. So it's the word of God, the Rima. So it comes out of God's mouth. It's one mouth, right? Now, this is the power of preaching. When I get to preach scripture to you, that's why um, every week we try to preach scripture, not Stephen's Tips for Life. Right? It's a short read. Not powerful. The power is in the scripture. Power is in the scripture. Double mouthed means it's spoken once by God and then it's spoken by us, and now the power is activated. Double-mouthed means uh, this. This was an example. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to know. First John 1 John 1.5, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I love that passage. It means that when there is darkness presence in your life, it's because God is absent from that thing. When means, and that means that when darkness is present in your thought life, it means God is absent from your thought life. It means in those dark thoughts, they can be whatever, you know, they could be thoughts of depression, they could be thoughts of hurting yourself, they could be thoughts of loneliness, despair, greed, um, anger, jealousy, whatever they might be, dark thoughts, you know them when you see them. Double-mouthed and the scripture being a weapon of war is knowing this, that that passage is right in here. It's already been spoken by God. It means it's already gone out of one mouth, which means in order to activate the power of that passage, it needs to come out of another one. Whose? Yours. Yours. It means in order for the scripture to be activated, it has to come out. It has to be activated. It has to come out of your mouth. Now, that might be audibly, and sometimes I audibly am just like, God, this dark thought will not control me. if I wake up in a bad mood and I know there's just no joy in me. You know that feeling. I man, Psalm one nineteen one, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. And I say, Lord, you promise joy for your believers and it's a fruit of the spirit. And so I'm just gonna speak that verse, whether it's audibly or it's in prayer. You have to activate it. Two mouthed. He spoke it already, halfway there. Now you speak it then it's got power. Then it becomes a weapon of war, spiritual war. Right there waiting for you. So the Rima, the word of God, old covenant, new covenant. It's living, relevant today as it's ever been. It's active. It wants to move. It's a weapon of war. Ready to be used by you. Lastly, pierces the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, the body, the spirit, the emotions, and the intellect. All four wrapped up in that passage. Scripture speaks to all of them. Sometimes we'll say, "Ah, I'm emotionally overcome. Cool, Scripture. My thought life is a mess. Scripture. My soul feels dry, scripture. Even my body aches, scripture. All of it found in here. It says it discerns. Another passage says judges. And I think sometimes this passage has been taught in such a way that says, uh, read scripture because it'll condemn you. It'll show you where you're wrong. And so we go, I don't want to do that. This word, what it really means is it reveals. It reveals what's going on underneath. It reveals. Uh, let me give you an example. In, um, there's a story in the New Covenant where some guy shows up and he starts talking to Jesus, and Jesus gives him some instructions, I guess, on, uh, on what it means to follow him. And the guy says, cool, I got it. Anything else? And Jesus goes, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, just one more thing. Go sell everything you have. And he goes, what? Up until that moment, he was good. Then Jesus, Rima, if he speaks, it's the word of God, right? So Jesus speaks, and what does it do then? It reveals what was deeply in that man's heart. It revealed his greed in that case. Why is scripture powerful? Because it reveals what is underneath. It reveals for living by faith or fear, right? For driven by Greed or generosity. Peace or anxiety. It reveals what's underneath. Now, you might say, well, I don't know if I agree with everything in Genesis. You might say, I don't know if I have time or I tried that once. And I would say, you don't have time not, not to be in this. Life is too short to not let the most powerful, clear way of God communicating with you to be a part of your everyday. To allow in a simple way, scripture to have deep meaning and impact in your life. The other day I was, uh, there's a, Kid at the church, guy at the church. Um, we text back and forth verses to each other. Um, you know when we're reading on our on our on our phones. And I texted him some verse, and then he texted me back his you know conspiracy theory around it. Um, has something to do with aliens. It's in Genesis. You can read it now. Kind of okay. I just ruined something for somebody. Okay. Anyway, that's the point of the story. As I was texting back and forth, we were just chatting about reading the Bible, and I said to him, um, you know, I feel like God is just telling me. to to read the Bible as simply as possible and just pull out whatever hits me. And when I was texting him, his text bubble was going, and then he stopped because, you know, he was deleting something then. Then he sent me back the text that said, I was about to say the exact same thing. You know why? Because we're part of the same church and there's one Holy Spirit in our church. And so he's gonna move us all in the same direction, which means this, that the more of us that are reading this, the more God is uniting us as a church family that the reason probably that division exists in a church, hear me out, is because we're not enough of us spending time letting God shape it out. Potentially the, the best thing that we could do to preserve unity as a church body is for each of us individually to be daily submitting ourselves to this. Because the one spirit will then speak to us in our own time. I think I could take this so far to say this. I would never have to get up here on a Sunday morning and cast a vision, right? That nice leadership word. Cast a vision for our church if each of us were reading because we'd already know it because God would be speaking it to us through his spirit. I hope I've convinced you of meaningful. Let me talk to you about simple briefly. Let me talk to you about simple. Let me just tell you what I do. I'll go there because it's simple. I wake up every morning, put my watch on first because I want to maximize those calories. And I start a timer for 15 minutes. I grab my Bible, I grab my journal. I Spend the first couple of minutes in that in prayer, basically saying hello to God. And then I open up the scripture and I read it. Not a long section. I'm reading the new covenant right now in the book of Acts. I underline whatever sticks out to me. I close it. I take some notes on it to help me remember it. And then I pray what I just read. So as an example, I've been reading through the book of Acts, right? Acts chapter, uh, I believe it's six and seven, starts telling about this guy named Stephen. Cool dude, spells his name wrong. Anyway, as I'm reading through it, it says five things about Stephen. It says he was full of faith, full of power, Full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. And you know, the, he's, he was full of, it just kept sticking out to me, so I underlined those five words. I closed my journal. I thought, well, "I want to be full of those things." That sounds awesome. This was very simple. I mean, it was easy reading. So then I pulled out my phone, I found five songs, that, one song that corresponded with each one of those things, and I just prayed as I worshiped to those songs. This was very simple and deeply meaningful. You can do this. I would encourage you to start in the new covenant. Start in Mark or John, one of the gospels, unless you really like Christmas, then start in Matthew or Luke, okay? Don't read all four of them. Read one of them and then jump to the book of Acts, all right? You can go back and hit the other three later. It's the same stories. After you read the first one of the Gospels, hop to the book of Acts and just start working your way through it, okay? Someday you're gonna get to Revelation. You're gonna get super confused and send me a Facebook message. We'll deal with that then, okay? And as you do, let God speak. Is it simple? Yeah, it really is. And some of you might be out there already dismissing it which means I'm just saying, you must be way more spiritually mature than I am because I know I couldn't live without this practice. It is deeply simple and deeply meaningful. Some of the lowest moments of my life, I can remember opening up scripture and almost like clinging to it And knowing and praying, God, if you say it, it must be true. I never get rid of old Bibles because I always wanna remember where I was in those seasons with it. And I'm telling you, however old you are and the younger you are, the cooler this gets to be for you. It really does. Whatever age, that this is one thing in life that if you begin to practice, and you might at the beginning be clunky, but every time, every time you go into scripture, every time you underline something and take a note, it's like dropping money in a savings account. And it might not mean something for you in that moment. right? You might not need the money right now. Someday you will. And every time you wake up and read, you're dropping something into account. You're dropping it, and then when you need it, it'll come back. Y'all should have gotten a book on the way in. Anyone not get one? Okay, anyone in the front section? This might be a little safer, (laughs) a little safer in the front section. Anyone not get one in the front section? There we go. Thank you, Jake Nelson, for being honest. Okay, anyone else? Anyone else not get one on the way in? This is perfect. All right. This is Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. We're married. <laughs> For now. Yeah, no, i Forever, right? Yeah. Um, we're going to practice. We're going to practice. Um, open up to the contents page. Just so you know, there's not a contents page in your Bible like this. Unless you get one of those Bibles that has one. Look at the categories. This is yours to keep, by the way. Of course, find the category, flip to the page, and practice. Hey, everyone, you have two minutes. Yes. I read Leviticus nineteen sixteen under the gossip category. Did anyone else read that? Just out of curiosity. Right there. Awesome. Do not go around saying things that hurt your people. Do not do things against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I'm gonna preach a whole other sermon right now. Isn't it amazing how simple verses can completely shift the direction of our lives if we will allow ourselves to listen to them and surrender to them? I wanna give you one last thing before you go, and that's this. When you read these, when you read the scripture, don't fall into a trap of just making a list of now things that you have to do in order to be Okay. That can get a very, very exhausting. Every time you do it, um, you have to remember that you are empowered by God's Holy Spirit out of grace to allow scripture to be implemented then into your life. What I don't want this end up being is, I've been reading, I've been taking notes and now there's 49 things that I have to do to be okay. The other thing is you always have to remember Jesus in the text. So even as I read, do not go around saying things that hurt your people. Do not do things against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. I mean, I can read that this morning and I can say, yeah, okay, now I need to not gossip. Yes, but where does the power to not gossip come from? It comes from remembering that when Jesus had every right to turn against me, he didn't do anything to hurt me. He did everything to help me. And so you bow and submit every passage of Scripture to Jesus. Simple, meaningful. I hope you'll do it. Let's pray. Thanks for watching this video. We hope you'll join us for one of our services on Sunday at 9 or 10.30 AM in the Livest Commons Movie Theater. Now with the new year come new things. So, if you want to find out more about our church, visit us at our new web address, experienceredemption.com. Have a great week.